Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. A while back on Ask the Politics Guys, we did a special episode where uh, I announced my policy positions because as longtime listeners will know, I actually am running for president. You can write me in. My name will be counted in, in a number of states. I'm curious to see if I get any votes. Uh, but we thought it would be a good thing to kind of reverse things a little bit and give Jay the opportunity to explain what his positions on the issues are and whether or not I would be comfortable voting for him over the other choices that I have in this election. So with that, Jay, Tell us about your positions. Uh, make right. your case this to is, the American public. I, I will. And first I'll say I'm, I'm not running. Um, I'm perfectly happy in the private sector. Uh, and uh, I, I, I feel no need, and a lot of conservatives I think I can understand this, feel, don't, don't feel a need to, uh, to run or inject themselves into the public sector. But if I were running, uh, here are some of the policies and uh, ideas that I would propose. Uh, first – we live in a, a uh, dangerous world and it's becoming more dangerous by the day. Um, there's there's a, a belief uh, amongst a lot of the Trump supporters that we can withdraw and, and I disagree with that. Uh, I, while I, I believe our foreign engagements ought to be viewed um, with a, a clear eye towards our national uh, interest and that we can't as a matter of resources and a matter of common sense and a matter of politics inject ourselves everywhere uh, we do need to maintain a presence throughout the world uh, part of that is in trade uh, I've I've said before numerous times and this goes back to the some of the sort of the founding documents of, of conservatism and, and conservative economics uh, looking at Adam Smith's wealth of nations uh, published not coincidentally in, in 1776, uh, that trade is good. Uh, trade builds jobs. Trade trade builds um, – uh, helps helps with uh, invention, creation. In the long um, run. Yeah, moves us, moves us forward. Uh, there is always disruption. Um, but that disruption is is a, a sort of a price we pay for the innovation that, that we get. Um and I, I believe, as, as you know, Ronald Reagan said years ago, a rising tide lifts all boats, uh, and and we are living in a a, a global world now. Uh, we have the opportunity, and in some cases, you might even say the obligation, to use trade to lift the boats of some of these other other countries that have been struggling. Um, so, what do you propose so to I do am, for I these am all people? For trade. Now, that's let, let me okay. qualify. You know, there's there's also trade agreements, and there needs to be needs to be fair. Uh, the types of agreements that we enter into need to have uh, things in an enforceable mechanism to prevent things like dumping. Uh, that's where a company will will sell its product overseas below cost uh, in order just to inflict economic harm on a competitor and to capture market share. Uh, that's prohibited under under numerous agreements uh, and are not to be vigorously enforced. Uh, similarly, uh, when you have uh, situations of, of piracy and so forth, that 
again, is prohibited already, but needs to be vigorously enforced. And we need to, to take a look at, at uh, making sure the enforcement mechanisms are there. And in most cases, I think the enforcement mechanisms are there. It's, it's do we have the will to, uh, to enforce it? But I think we engage the world through trade because we have a lot to offer. We have a lot to gain. Uh, trade has kept our prices and inflation low in, in a period of time where uh, with the, the easy money that's that's been put out by the Fed, inflation might be skyrocketing. Uh, and my concern is is if you you stop that, you you run the risk of, of getting into an inflationary cycle. Um, so what do you say to these people who are, are – Victims. I mean, the, you know, the people who lose their jobs just suck it up, and in the long run, everything will be better. Or, or how do you address their very legitimate concerns about what am I? What am I going to do? I'm I'm 50 years old. I'm a factory worker. That's all I've known. And now you're just saying that I'm just part of the creative destruction. No, I think what what you say is we have the power to create uh, more and different jobs. So let's let's take a look at at rebuilding. Uh, America's manufacturing industry. Let's take a look at what can we do here in America that can't be done overseas uh, and and do it better. Um, in many cases, uh, I, I served on the uh, Cuyahoga County Work, Workforce uh, Investment Board uh, with a, with retraining workers. You can get them from from loss of a factory job to something uh, new and better in in a matter of months. Um, so I, I support that kind of continuing investment um, in uh, uh, it's called the Work, Workforce Investment Act. It was something that actually was passed by, by Bill Clinton um, in the early 90s. So you're saying uh, more that, money, more government, like a more, more money, government more investment? In no, it? I'm saying I'm saying spend it strategically. It's hard uh, for you to say more it, money, more it, government, isn't it? it? Uh, make it demand focused. Sure. Uh, let's look at what is going on um, uh, where where there is growth and – uh, give people incentives to to move there. So I, I think this is a country that's full of opportunity. Uh, and the idea that anyone should be locked into simply, oh, I had this one manufacturing job. That's all I can do for the rest of my life. Uh, I, I I just dis- dispute that. Uh, again, we are resilient people. And I think uh, uh, given the assistance and the resources, we can we can adapt to these changes, and the other the other part of this is look the, those changes are are coming regardless. Um, right. But but you'll you'll admit that there are, there's a group of people who it's going to be a lot harder for them, and, and there's going to be a sizable group who just are at, at this point in their careers they're you know they're not going to be able to adapt, and job retraining is is a great thing and so forth. But it's not a silver bullet, is it? Well, it's no, nothing's it's there's no silver bullet that's going to come from the government. That's sort of, I guess, a fundamental position that that conservatives come in with. Uh, and I think too often there's the, the liberal idea that the government can fix all the problems. Uh, it can't. It, it, it just can't. What it can do is stop causing new ones. And I think that's that's another piece of my my platform. Okay. Um, Let's let's get uh, reduced government regulations so make it easier for uh, companies to hire uh, and expand. Now, again, that's sort of you'd say, oh, that's kind of just the simplistic thing that all Republicans say. Well, true, but <laughs> but it's also it's also they say it because it's true. Um, if you look at the, the new mandates that have have come on through Obamacare, uh, through things like Dodd Frank, through uh, the the reams and reams of things coming out of uh, the administrative agencies. The U.S. government makes it harder, not easier, 
to start a business and to run a business. And there's a reason um, for that. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, regulations that that so many Republicans look down their noses at or, or see as evil or something are are things that are designed to protect people from you know predatory lenders, for instance. And, and, and there things- are also a lot of them that are designed to protect industries that are already uh, existing uh, or or certain leaders in industries that are already existing. Fair enough. And, yep. can, and can set up a a cost of entry into the market that is prohibitive to any competitor. And that, that, that's, uh, and that's, that's what's, that's what people rightly call crony capitalism. And I'm against it. But I think, I wonder, let me ask you this. I wonder like, for instance, in, in the food industry, there are an awful lot of restrictions and regulations about inspections and things like that. Some people say not nearly enough. And, and of course, what that results in is kind of along the lines of what a lot of Republicans say is what that means is that if you want to start a, a small business in this industry, whatever, small farming business, you, are, you can't because it costs so much to meet these requirements. Yet the other side of it is these requirements are important so that our food isn't tainted. Uh, so, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but not every instance of uh, – I mean, certainly some regulations are anti-competitive, but they need to be because you need to weigh – the safety and security of the public against competition. I mean, would, would you? Sure. Okay. Sure. And, okay. I, and I don't think you've ever heard me say on any of this program that I'm against reasonable regulation or that I am sort of the, a libertarian of, of uh, well, after enough people die of the, the you know, tainted meat, uh, they'll, they'll decide to go okay. with a different supplier. Um, but, but let's take a look at where we are in terms of regulation now as to where we were just 20 years ago. I mean, or in the, the, the 1980s, you could say, look, uh, we didn't have these, these mass uh, uh, problems then, but we do have a much, much uh, uh, more stringent regulatory structure now. Um, so that's uh, – I think we, we take a review of that and start slowing down. And, and so, so often, you know, let, let's be realistic. When, when conservatives come to power, uh, even then – the regulatory state does not recede. It, it just grows at a slower pace. Um, so the idea that there would be somehow uh, under my administration, we would, we would do away with the FDA or something like that is, is uh, that's, that's not just going to happen, but we can take a, take a look at making sure that those administrative agencies are, are, are reined in. Well, I, yeah, so, I, I've had this kind of a standard reply, and I get, I get that response, and I think it's actually a little more nuanced of a response than you hear from a lot of Republicans. So, okay, I can, I can see that. We certainly would disagree as to the extent to which regulations are strangling economic growth and so forth. We're going to get rid of that damn CF, uh, uh, you know, Cordray administration. Cordray, yeah, that's, that's that's what I fear. Absolutely. That's, okay. Yeah, that's my first step. Um, uh, no, and seriously, because I think that's something that, that is, is an example of here's an ish area where we, we don't need another agency. We don't need more regulation. Uh, but moving on. All right. Uh, because there's, there's a, lot of, sure. a lot of other ground to cover. Uh, immigration. Uh, Mike, you, you know this uh, to some extent and um, uh, maybe some of the other listeners do. Uh, immigration is something that, that really matters a lot to me. Uh, I'm the grandson of, of immigrants. Um, in uh, college, uh, I had the privilege to work uh, as a, a, a teacher in English as a second language to immigrants. In that case, it was uh, mostly Russian Jews who were escaping Eastern Europe, uh, Russia, uh, uh, when when there was the opening um, 
with Gorbachev. Uh, and also, Mike, you would remember, I, I worked with some other folks from Eastern Europe who who really took great risks to get over here. Um, mm-hmm. And I was I was privileged to hear Gene uh, uh, Kirkpatrick, who was our former UN ambassador back in the 80s. Actually, she was originally a conservative Democrat, but appointed by Reagan and, and become, became sort of a leading light in a lot of foreign policy circles discussing immigration. And one of the most important things that we get from immigrants isn't labor. It isn't uh, 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 just growing the economy. It's the appreciation of, of freedom and the appreciation of the opportunities uh, that they have in this country that they didn't have wherever they came from. Absolutely. And I think that is huge in renewing the the American spirit uh, in looking at um, uh, these are people who, who are taking a tremendous risk uh, in order to go get something better. Uh, and, and to me, that's, there's, there's nothing more American than that. Um, it's a beautiful so thing. So I, yeah, I, I support uh, immigration. I don't want to build a wall. Uh, but right. let's also take a look at we need to be able to control our borders. And we've been in a situation where we're not. Well, illegal immigration now, is down. Coming, so, you know. Pardon? I said illegal immigration is down, in fact, in recent years. Right. So but we still have we still have uh, uh approximately, you know, 12 million people or so who are here illegally and are staying here. Okay. Uh, so I, I believe in a, a creating a path to citizenship. All right. Okay. So, so far, but, you, so far, I'm not, there's nothing that's been a deal breaker necessarily for me. Well, I so. appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but this is going to be, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be, people are going to have to, to come forward and say, listen, I want to become a citizen. Uh, there's going to have to be an economic uh, contribution to take a look at what the back taxes that could have been paid, should have been paid, uh, can be. And we do have to do more to secure our border, uh, both both uh, a physical border and also the, just the regulatory border. Because as, as you know, most of the people who are here illegal were not illegally – are not people who, who snuck across the border. They're people who came over illegally and then overstayed their, their visas. Right. Uh, so we need to figure out a, a better way to approach uh, uh, that and, and get those people into uh, the system and put them on a path to citizenship. And, and it's not going to be automatic. It's not going to be a uh, congratulations, you're a citizen. It's going to take a while. And we're going to continue to bring other folks in who, and if they come in during the, through the legal route, they're going to get citizenship beforehand. So, I, you know, that's – that's I guess, where I am on immigration. As far as the border security goes, uh, I've said this before, Trump isn't entirely wrong. Um, I don't know that we need a, a you know, coast-to-coast 50-foot wall, but in many cases, there needs to be a physical barrier. Um, that's, that's for uh, not just immigration and, and uh, in the sense of, of economic security, but we live in a dangerous world and dangerous people can come across and, and get into uh, uh, places if there's there's no impediments. So we need to take a look at that. Um, am I prepared today to tell you exactly what I'll do with that? No, I want to be unpredictable. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, in some cases, you know, in many places, there are physical uh, barriers already. And, and there need to be um, uh, more. And we can take a look at it a, a place by place uh, 
instance as to what makes the most sense uh, there. But I would say I'm, I'm a traditional Republican in terms of, of trade and uh, immigration. Um, okay. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, foreign policy. I started to get into foreign policy. Uh, and well, you kind of you kind of took that into trade, which I think is took that into trade, yeah. But 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 a trade aside, and, and of course there are a lot of linkages between trade, as have been pointed out. The countries that trade a whole lot tend not to tend not to go to war and that sort of thing. And I think you probably would agree with that. But uh, you know, I was interested to hear what what you might do with you know, for instance, the the, the Middle East, or would you continue what Obama, President Obama, has called the pivot toward Asia, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I think the answer is is both um, because we're in a situation where we have to do both. Um, the Middle East, we can't simply walk away from to the extent you want someone wants to make the argument, oh, we shouldn't have been there in the first place. Uh, I, I disagree. Um, but it is what it is now. And to some extent, we've made it that. And now we've got a situation where. The, the the choice isn't always between um, America being the uh, the world's policeman uh, and living just in a a happy free uh, world. Uh, if if a, if the U.S. doesn't step up and provide leadership internationally, you'll either have chaos uh, or you'll have another power stepping in to do that who does not have the United States' interests uh, or maybe even the world's interests uh, at at heart. And I'd point, you know, Exhibit A would be Russia. Right. Um, Russia has has intervened in Syria. They outmaneuvered us diplomatically, uh, and and now uh, militarily, and they are bombing civilians in order to keep uh, their tyrants in power, committing war uh, crimes. Yeah. Um, and and uh, that's that's the kind of kind of thing where, for those who say, well, we should just recede from the world. That's what you're going to get, and the world is not going to recede from us. No, that, um, yeah, the fair point, and it's it's frustrating because I understand the the, the anger of people who say we you know, misguided uh, and downright wrong U.S. policies for decades have created this, and I tend to agree with a lot of that. But I also tend to think that you're right that unfortunately, just. You know, retreating is is not an answer, and might end up causing more problems, creating more problems than it would solve. Uh, in in Asia, I would say to some extent, uh, happily, we're not in the situation where there needs to be more military intervention, but we still need to flex our muscles. Uh, the Chinese have been doing that in the uh, uh, South China with Sea with their, yeah. their floating islands uh, that they've kind of created to to move out. Um, and showing showing strength doesn't doesn't necessarily require confrontation. Again, you can look back at. At Reagan, uh, who who showed strength, and you see the reaction that that it got. Uh, many people at the time, you know, were claiming, "Oh, the warmonger, this is going to be terrible." But the result is, when you stand up to to bullies internationally, uh, they will they will back down. And I think historically, it, it shows that's the much better route than showing weakness invites invites attack. Um, so I am all for a a. Uh, military which is this is the way we've been moving is is quick mobile uh can go places and we need to to make clear to our allies across the world that yeah we'll support you um 
okay. because otherwise you have the the you know use the cold war metaphor here that the dominoes start to fall. Yeah. Um, if if you don't, I, I I agree with you. I think I I think we have a lot of common ground when it comes to foreign and those, policy. And those those allies would include Israel and Taiwan. So. Yep. There's, there's where you and I tend to break our common ground a little bit there. But, uh, you know, another area where I'm betting that we'll have kind of a major disagreement would be uh, appointments to the Supreme Court. The next president will uh, obviously have one appointment to the Supreme Court, assuming that Merrick Garland is not uh, confirmed in the lame duck session, which I I don't think will happen. But the next president could have three, maybe as many even as, as four appointments if that person has two terms. So uh, what sort of justices would you appoint, not just to the Supreme Court, but you know what a lot of people don't realize is that what can be even more important in some ways are the other lower federal court appointments because most cases don't get to the Supreme Court and a president right. can have a lasting effect for a generation or more by uh, by essentially remaking the federal courts. So uh, talk to talk to me a little bit about what your uh, philosophy on that would be. Well, my, my biggest uh, uh, plan there is to, to gather uh, our best and brightest uh, mad scientists uh, fully fund a project to uh, exhume and reanimate uh, Justice Scalia. Yeah, I thought maybe um, <laughs> that's sort of the our, our, our really our best hope uh, is is uh, is is that. Um, uh, all all kidding aside, uh, I believe in a, um, a judicial restraint, and that is that uh, the judges don't make laws; they interpret laws. Uh, it also means that, uh, as Scalia said, uh, the Constitution is dead, dead, dead. Um, we we don't add to it other than through the amendment process that that uh, exists in it. Uh, if if you want to find new rights, you have a legislature to to do that. Um, so, given that, I think conservatives can do a better job. Uh, making the argument for judicial restraint, making the ju- the argument for what judges ought to do, and usually, you know, when 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 they make that argument, uh, when it comes down to, you know, I guess in some state elections, that's a, that's another issue altogether. Um, but on appointments, I think they do well, uh, uh, well and that's you know part of my framing. I think we 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 should have held hearings on Merrick Garland. Uh, and been able to raise that that flag and make it an issue in this presidential campaign instead of the issues that we have. Well, you know, uh, but I, nobody nobody wanted to listen to me. So, well, well let's be clear. What we're talking about here judicial restraint. I mean, and you hear a lot of talk about activist judges and, and making law and so forth. And oftentimes, I think, unfortunately, too many people use that as shorthand for the court ruled in a way I disagree with, and so that's therefore those those damn activist judges. But for instance. I would argue, and I want to get your your view on this, a restrained judicial ruling generally means a judicial ruling that gives due deference to the democratically elected branches. So, for instance, a ruling that upholds more than overturns parts of Obamacare would be a deferential restrained type ruling. I, I would agree with you to okay. a certain extent. Okay. Uh, that was that was a judicial restraint Um uh, decision. Now there are also pieces of it, right? because again there was a lot of moving pieces in that decision, uh, where the the court had to essentially uh, insert words into the statute that weren't really there in order to make sense of it. Uh, I think that strays into uh, judicial activism, uh, where you're sort of assuming something that this is well, this is what Congress meant to say, 
because it wouldn't have made sense otherwise. Um, I think that's that's a dangerous position. But to the idea that the people have spoken and their remedy is a political one, I, I think that's broadly speaking correct. Um, and the same goes for and we'll say this: uh, uh, gay marriage. Uh, personally, I'm I'm all for it, uh, but I don't believe that the uh, uh, decision uh, issued last year was correct as a matter of constitutional law. Uh, it was a matter of Justice Kennedy had a policy preference, as do I, and I share that policy preference with Justice Kennedy. Um, but I, I don't, I don't find it uh, in the Constitution. And to just say, well, we think this ought to be a right uh, because we think it just ought to be. I, I don't think that's doing constitutional law. That's just legislating from the bench. So you and I would have a fundamental disagreement about the interpretation of the Equal Protection Clause. It sounds like. On that. No, well, probably, yeah. probably. Okay. Um, you know, I think more more on, on uh, equal protection, we'd probably be in the same same realm. Substantive due process, I think, is where we would we would split. Okay. Um, okay. And that, that I, I I see I see fewer fewer areas where judicially there that uh, we have substantive due process, and that that's you know for the folks who don't really dig into this all the time, there's no reason that you should. Uh, where where courts say. Uh, yeah, look, but there's there's sort of a right here or there lurking in the penumbra uh, of the the penumbra being a, a Latinism for the the shadow of a shadow uh, of of other rights. Um, uh, so I, I that's where I would I would differ with you. Now again, in, in all things judicial, uh, judges are called to determine the case or controversy before them, and many of these ride on their own facts. So it's it's hard to to, you know, again, say, how do you rule on, on, a, on a specific issue? I want a judge that's going to do this or that. Uh, but I want a judge that's going to look at those facts individually and make that call uh, and not just simply an, an ideological checkbox uh, saying, oh, this expands government and it's a policy uh, uh, preference that, that this is what I want, so let's do it. Okay. Uh, and I think that's that's important. All right. What else you got? What else do I got? Oh, let's see. Um, I I believe and this is you know someone you mentioned that uh, you had great imag- uh, admiration for uh, George Herbert Walker Bush uh, in his the good uh, Bush, yeah the good Bush in his uh, speech at the convention in '92 accepting the nomination he talked and was later ridiculed for a uh, thousand points of light and I think that's something that we ought to. Take a take a look back at. Okay, explain. Uh, there are so many. There are so many uh, private organizations, charities, uh, groups doing good works out there, and the government has has tended to get into its head that it is sort of the uh, has a monopoly on virtue. On if any anything good is going to come, if anyone's going to be helped, it must be the government who does that. And I think that's short sighted, and I think it's often wrong. Uh, so I would propose. Uh, doing what we can to assist these private charitable groups, uh, I would exp- expand. Uh, you know, currently there is a tax deduction for charitable um, uh, contributions. I would expand that to a tax credit. Okay, and can, uh, be, can you to, explain the difference for for listeners who might not know? Well, a, a deduction is is simply you can write off uh, money that you give to a charity, uh, and you don't have to pay taxes on that money. Uh, Income that you that you have earned, so it's essentially you know if, if your tax rate is is thirty three percent, 
um, you know, it is a tax savings of 33%, but it's also as if you never receive that money, essentially. Right. Uh, I want to take a step further and actually propose that you do get get some sort of a credit for for helping out your, uh, your communities. Uh, so so let's let's strengthen our, our private charities, our, our private organizations, our 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 churches, our Boy Scouts, our all all these sort of things. These are the things that again going going way back to um, Alexis de Tocqueville uh, saw as the real strength of America. It's not our government; it's our our communities; it's our private. Uh, uh, organizations and it's the ability of people in those communities to get together and come up with solutions that work for them um, that that make this country great as opposed to just a solution being imposed from a national government I, I posted a story on the um, the, uh, the Facebook page a week or so ago about uh, a group in, in Lorraine County a church that's trying to do work with uh, addiction. Mm-hmm. And and the hurdles that they've been facing uh, in dealing with their local government, and to me that's that's the, the so much of the problem is we have solutions, we have people who are willing to to work for those solutions, uh, we have the resources are out there, uh, but government isn't helping, government standing in the way, and I think I think government can take a step back and say, listen, we don't have the monopoly on on all the best way to solve these problems, and maybe the the best way is to have a lot of different organizations out there trying to solve these problems because their solutions will be different in different places and, and you'll be able to see what works, what does work and, and start applying that as, as moving forward. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's sort of a, a call for uh, renewing American virtue, if you will. Oh, wow. I mean, let's, okay. let's step up and, and reach out and, and help our neighbors. Um, I don't think there's anything unrepublican in saying something like that. Um, so, that's that's where I am, and um, uh, you know, again, you can't really vote for me, um, but uh, I appreciate that when you vote for someone, you take those ideas into the booth with you. Yeah, well, you know, I I would say you sound like a, I would call it a dare I use the phrase a compassionate conservative, um, uh, very much in the model of maybe a John Kasich sort of or a Paul Ryan type of person, which is what I would have expected. Sort of where I'm, yeah, yeah, where I'd be, I think. Yeah, which uh, you know makes you to me, or again, uh, Jack Jack Kemp. Yep, going back further, which makes you to me uh, far preferable to anyone who currently uh, may be running and so forth. So I would vote for you before I would vote for any other Republican I can think of. Is about as close as I will say. Thanks. That's that is a ringing endorsement, and I will accept that. Yeah, exactly. You're you're front and center on my campaign literature. The best of the worst, you know, or something like that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But all right. Well, I think that about does it for this episode of Ask the Politics, guys. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening. If you have any questions for future episodes, or just any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we would love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail dot com. And of course, now you can also leave a voice message for us by calling our listener line at 408-840-3518. We have that number on our website as well. Our Facebook page where we post throughout the week is facebook.com slash politicsguys page and we're on Twitter at politicsguys. And if you're interested in helping us keep the show going, sharing and retweeting our new show, posts and tweets and reviewing the show on iTunes really does help. And finally, if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that through the PayPal or Patreon links on our website. While you're there, be sure to check out our listener rewards. We'll be back with a new show next Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.